Welcome to the Faith Focus Weekly Discipleship Podcast. My name is Kevin Rognes, and I'm the Discipleship Director here at Faith Covenant Church. I just want to thank you, as always, for either watching or listening, whether you're watching on YouTube or listening on any of our major podcasting platforms. We're just very grateful that you would take any time out of your day to do that. So lately, we've been in a sermon series, actually a few series, about home this past summer. And in these last six weeks, we've been talking about healing within the home and what does healing mean? And so with that series, with healing, we've been doing um, a a lot of Q&A and then kind of expanding on our ideas in the podcast after the sermon. So this week, Pastor Brad, once again, is joining us um, because this past Sunday, a couple of days ago, he spoke on eternal healing. Mm -hmm. This was a sermon that I know you uh, knew that people might have a lot of questions about. Mm -hmm. Um, Before he gave it on Sunday, he kind of phrased it as he thought it might be kind of like a Theology 201 course. So kind of a a little bit more advanced stuff. But um, the questions that you sent in were so interesting. We had so many. And so today we're not going to try to summarize any of the sermon that he already gave. I'm just going to encourage you to go ahead and watch it if you haven't already, so that we would give you a little bit more background on what we're talking about today. So if you haven't watched that, the link to that episode is in the uh, description lower down in the post. So with all that said, welcome Pastor Brad. Thank you for being with us. And Thank you. Um, he's going to do his best to be concise on these questions, <laughs> which are really complex questions. Um, And I'm going to do my best to like hold into being concise too. So you might see us like cut ourselves off or, you know, do that a little bit. So it's going to be a journey. Yeah, we'll we'll try to be as articulate as possible. Yes. So um, the first question, we kind of address a little bit of this on Sunday, but I think it's a helpful starting point for our conversation today. And that the question is, how much of Revelation is a metaphor that expresses truth but may not be a literal depiction of heaven or um, anything about the end times. Yeah. <clears throat> so yeah. So the Book of Revelation is apocalyptic literature. It's the last book of the Bible. Um, it really is was written to be read by people who have some understanding of the the grand narrative of God and His people. Okay. So if if you're watching out there and you've never read any of the Bible, and you just choose Revelation, um, please know that that's designed to fit within a larger context of the whole narrative of the Scriptures. So, apocalyptic literature has um, uh, a lot of um, imagery that probably the first readers and the writer understood a lot of that imagery. Um, Today, we very likely struggle with a lot of it. And so I can't tell, uh, I, I don't have a number as for how much is uh, metaphor, uh, allegory, uh, symbol, etc. But I think we have to recognize that um, some of it is. And um, some of it has to do, I, I believe, with um, some of it is foretelling um, the destruction of Israel. Um, in um, 70 AD, um, but I don't think it all is that. Mm-hmm. I think it does have to do um, with the future and obviously the return of Christ. And so, um, so it's 
it's highly symbolic. That said, one of the things I think it's important to remember is that symbols, just because something is a symbol doesn't mean it's not true. Mm. You know, so a symbol, a sign is, is designed to point toward that which is true. And so um, to write the book of Revelation off as, well, that's just all symbolic, it is, is ultimately not helpful to our interpretation of Revelation. Um, what we want to do is, is look at, okay, so what do I see here? That, what, what is the truth God wants me to see mm-hmm. and know? Mm-hmm. Um, someone shared with me after church, I thought this was brilliant. Uh, a previous pastor who used to work here by the name of Trace James um, said, uh, the scriptures recognize we are in a need-to-know basis. Mm-hmm. And the, the idea is that God has given us what we need to know. And he has put it in a form that he, uh, that God in his foreknowledge knew that we, that would be hard for us. Um, and he, God wanted it that way. And that's okay. We, we don't tell our kids everything when they're four years old. Um, they, we tell our kids what they need to know as they mature. And so I think that's with all of the scriptures. Um, we have to recognize that God has given us what we need to know. And as we mature in Christ um, and come to know the scriptures, we come to it, it becomes we become more adept at interpretation. Mm-hmm. And there's also a struggle of what we need to know and what we want to know. Absolutely. They are not the same thing. Absolutely. We all come to the scriptures. Um, uh, no one comes to the scriptures from an objective a perfectly objective viewpoint. We all come to the text with baggage, yeah. wanting it to do stuff for us, wanting it uh, to prove points for us. Um, but the the Bible is really uh, the book of James talks of it. Um, it's it's um, it shows us uh, who we are. What's you know, if you look in a mirror, you see that uh, uh, this is out of place. <laughs> My hair is out of place. This is looking good. That's a scar that needs to be dealt with. That's a, you know, so the scriptures um, are given to us to help us understand who God is. And it is in knowing who God is that we understand who we are. Mm-hmm. Next question. Um, within the scriptures today, and we actually started asking this question on Sunday, um, but we knew it needed a little bit more time. So, but within the script, scriptures today, we skimmed over the idea of Zion. Can you explain how that is different or similar to the new earth and new heaven? Yeah, so that is an incredibly complex and controversial. Um, that that's like opening a Pandora's box of interpretation. <laughs> so, so Zion it has multiple meanings in the scriptures, um, but it but it all centers centers around Jerusalem. So you start with Zion. Is is the the place where the temple was built, okay, in Jerusalem, and then but the but Zion is also sometimes uh, referring to Jerusalem, but sometimes uh, Zion is referring to all of the land, all of the promised land uh, given to God's holy people, and within um, Christianity, um, there is a certain uh, way of interpreting that says 
that Jesus is not going to come back until all of God's people, ancient, in, until all the Jews have come to the land mm -hmm. and take the land and then Jesus returns. Um, I will say, um, historically, that's a minority view. Mm. Um, and that's something I'll talk about maybe as we go here. But um, th that is, historically, that's a minority view. Mm -hmm. um, it's a very popular view now. But if you look at it in the, in the realm of church history, it's a minority view. Um, there's also Jewish, Jewish Zionism, which is, um, again, that, that um, all Jewish people have a right to the promised land that God gave uh, the people of Israel. Um, and so uh, I, in preparation for this particular question, I actually watched a whole debate by two really smart <laughs> scholars uh, who disagree on the nature of the land and uh, uh, the, the the future for Israel, et cetera. This becomes a political powder keg um, in our country and in Israel, um, and so and beyond Israel. Yeah, it's country, yeah, and absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. And so, um, uh, yeah. So that's a that, <laughs> that's a tough one that needs. Oh, that'd be like five different podcasts uh, to well, get context and, and there. A multitude of books on yeah. varying opinions on all of this. Yeah, so. and and can I just say to everyone, um, one of the things that you learn when you study church history, and so I grew up in the church. I grew up in a particular church, in a covenant church, but it, I grew up around particular thinking in the '60s and '70s and '80s in evangelicalism. And I went to seminary thinking this is what this is what everyone thinks. Mm -hmm. And when you when you get to seminary and you study church history, you realize that's actually not the case. <laughs> not everyone thinks the same way sure. in, in Christianity. And yes, there are many people who think X. Okay, um, but there are also p people um, who love the Lord, who believe in, in the inspired Word of God and the Virgin Birth and Jesus coming back, etc. Who disagree about X, yep. and so it's one of the, the one of the great gifts you'll give yourself is is reading about church history and um, uh, and learning how how things have changed over the years, what what we maybe missed by disregarding some things over time, etc. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you've kind of already hinted a little bit about this, but we had a question that came in um, that I'm going to kind of distill. Um, there are a variety of references to 144,000 Jewish people in Revelation, along with references to a thousand-year millennium in Revelation. Again, this is something that there are a multitude of complicated interpretations of. Um, what do you think about, what, what, what do we need to know about okay. that? <laughs> okay, so the 144,000 is referred to in, I believe it's Revelation 7 and Revelation 14. Um, and there's there's not agreement as to what mm -hmm. that number is. The hundred It's 144,000 saved, mm -hmm. okay, essentially. And and so some people would say, and one thing that's interesting is that, that number 12 is important. Yeah. 12 tribes of Israel, 12 apostles is this... Um, is this uh, 12 times 12 is 144, you know? And so it would seem that that 144,000 
is some sort of number that is in reference to 12. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, one group will say, this is 144,000 that represents this. This is 144,000, that's a symbolic number that represents the church or those or Messianic Jews, or I, I've heard all different kinds of, you know, people with red hair, right? <laughs> it, 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 it's crazy the, the, the way people in, interpret that number. The reality is, I don't know. I don't know what that number means. Mm-hmm. I, I, all I know is that the text says that there is a number, and that number significant, and that number is, re- is in reference to um, uh, a, a remnant saved. Mm-hmm. And so um, I look forward to uh, John, John the Revelator <laughs> telling me all about what that means someday. Yeah. And then with oh, that, yeah, the, the millennium. millennium. Yeah, so the millennium thing is that the thousand-year reign of Christ uh, is... Again, highly controversial. It's not controversial. It's pe- people get. Um, there's a wide range of interpretations. There's a wide range of interpretations, and people get very passionate about their mm-hmm. their view. Um, and that's again something when when I came to seminary. Um, so I took um, systematic theology at at um, Bethel Seminary, and. Um, uh, I thought everyone believed, everyone in, in evangelicalism um, believed that, uh, well, everyone who would be what I would say an Orthodox Christian, who believed in the real uh, the coming of Christ, you are saved by grace, uh, through faith, um, born of a virgin, you know. Christianity 101. Yeah, Christianity 101. Um, I thought everyone believed um, in a rapture, thousand-year reign of, uh, of Christ, um, tribulation, return of Christ, etc. Well, if you go through church history, and actually if you go to people alive today, um, that's a minority view. Mm-hmm. That view actually was, was popularized in the 19th century. Okay, so this is like the first 19... 19- hundred years of Christianity did not have that view at all. Mm-hmm. It's very popular today, um, popularized by the Left Behind series back in my day uh, by Hal Lindsey and the late great planet Earth, that book. Um, but that's a minority view. Um, I don't hold that view anymore. I did. Um, and, and for anyone who cares, um, uh, John Piper doesn't hold that view. Tim Keller doesn't hold that view. Augustine didn't hold that view. Martin Luther does, didn't hold that view. John Calvin didn't hold that view. Uh, and so to say that it has to be this way, well, um, it doesn't have to be that way. But for the bulk of church history and even today, prominent people that we all know and respect um, don't hold that view. Yeah. Yeah. And so what I hear you saying is basically these ideas of rapture, a tribulation, a thousand year reign of Christ they're not necessary to if you don't believe that that doesn't mean you're some wacko leftist christian very conservative orthodox traditional christians have mm-hmm. not held those views for hundreds if not thousands of years yeah yeah but, Ab- absolutely martin luther the yeah. the king of the protestant reformation didn't hold that view yeah. um and but and yet if you hold that view you need to know it doesn't mean you know 
we should still have coffee together. And <laughs> these are not really fighting words. Right. Because and this is a key to biblical interpretation right here. So if G- God gets to do it the way God wants to do it, it's not up to, God's not going to check in with me or you or Kevin and say, well, I know you hold this view. What do you think if I come back and I return this way? God's just going to do what God's going to do. Yeah. And so I'm totally fine with with being wrong. Yeah. And if 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 God comes back and and there's a rapture, that's I'm totally fine with that. Yeah. I I trust in in the salvific work of Christ. Um if if it's going to be a literal thousand-year reign on the earth, okay, Lord, you're the Lord. Um if, if it's not way it happens, you and I both and many of these Christian leaders we all believe that Jesus is coming back. Right. That there's agreement there. There's mm-hmm. there's really you'd be hard pressed to find um, anyone in Christendom who would have what we would call an orthodox view to to, to disagree with that. Yeah. So we all agree there. What it looks like, really, that's up to God. It's not up to me. It's not up to to any any of us. Yeah. So then. Um, Similar questions. Um, is the description of in Revelations of the new earth is necessarily complete? If a believer is troubled by the description, is there room for more in the new earth for those believers? Well, you know, that, that's an interesting... Um, there, there's that, that text in... Um, uh, that, that verse, you know... No eye has seen, no ear has heard <laughs> um, what God has prepared for those who love him. And so when we talk, what, what the scriptures give us, again, in our need-to-know basis, is they give us, a, you know, kind of a thumbnail sketch, so to mm-hmm. speak. And it, I think we can s- safely say that it'll be beyond what we could ever think or imagine. Right. And so... Here's another way to think of it. If you're, if we get concerned about eternity and like, well, I hope it's like that. I'd be sad if it's not like that. I hope it. Okay, if, I get it. In in coming to know the God of the Scriptures, we what we come to know is God is always more sufficient, more beautiful, more loving, more grace filled, more good than we have words or thoughts to imagine. Mm -hmm. And so the best way to think of it, I think, is when we think about these things, is to trust that the God who is eternally love and loves us more than we could ever love, love ourselves is going to provide for us eternally that which makes our hearts sing forever. And so... We don't have to worry about what's coming because God is good. We get to trust he's going to provide and it's going to be far better than we could ever think or imagine. Mm-hmm. You know? What I just can't help but think because Revelations was written, we believe, by the same writer of the Gospel of John. And the Gospel, I think it's the Gospel of John that he ends with. And you could go on writing forever and ever and ever and never have enough. Mm -hmm. Um, All the books of the world could never contain enough of God's goodness. And so to me, that makes me think, okay, heaven's going to be far better than than we can possibly imagine or could be contained 
you know, in a book. Right. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. Next question. Uh, what will a loved one that has passed away be like in the present heaven? Yeah. So that is in reference to, we talked about on Sunday how um, heaven is the realm of God. Um, and uh, in Revelation uh, 21, 22, we hear of this new heaven, new earth. The old earth and the old heaven have passed away. So, um, and we talked about the present heaven. The present, the present heaven is, I use the example of my grandma Amelia, who loved the Lord. She died, her body's still buried in Arizona. And, but Amelia's with the Lord. Um, Jesus said to the thief on the cross, today, not when I return, but today you will be with me in paradise. Um, we know that in the when Jesus met with uh, Elijah and Moses in the Transfiguration, they were real beings with that that were recognizable, um, who could have a conversation with Jesus. Okay, so that's the present heaven that 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 um, space where we go to be with the Lord until God until Jesus returns final judgment, new earth, new heaven, okay? Um, and we talked about, if you go to the, the uh, message, it's very important. We talked about this earth resurrected. God is not creating a new ex nihilo out of nothing. He is transforming and, and renewing um, this creation in, in the same way that, and the way we understand it is uh, the resurrection body of Jesus. Um, that's how I understand my resurrection body. That's how we understand the, the resurrection of the earth. Okay. Um, and again, if you're like, wait, what? Watch the message and then shoot me an email if you want. Um, so what was the question again? Um, let's see. Where, uh, yeah. What, what will a loved one be like that has passed? Or what will a loved one that has passed away be like in the present heaven? Yeah. Um, I would say, best answer is, I don't know. <laughs> uh, I think we can say they are recognizable. Um, they are healed. Um, it's just previous to the resurrection. Mm -hmm. And again, I think we, you know, my brain is not big enough to understand how time and dimensions work with all this. And so it's, I would say it's far greater than I can think or imagine. And so I just trust God uh, that uh, what he has for the present heaven and then the marriage of heaven and earth in, the, in our etern, eternal nature, um, our eternal resurrection is, is, is going to be sufficient. Wow. Yeah. My brain's hurting. <laughs> <laughs> so with all of these brain-bending questions, I, this one helps. How should this news of a restored physical earth affect the way that I live my life as a Christian on a daily basis? So what do we do practically with all these mind-bending yeah. questions and discussions? Well, um, I have a number of thoughts. One thought I want to share for sure is not my thought. I got this from Randy Alcorn, who wrote a great book. If you're, if you're really interested in this stuff, Randy Alcorn wrote a book called Heaven. And it's 
really helpful. Um, and you can kind of move through it slowly. It, it's, it's deep, but it's not beyond uh, our adventure. <laughs> um, so, but he, he, he makes a point. You can find his stuff on YouTube as well. Um, he makes a point that Christians don't need a bucket list. Mm. And, and I, I find that really helpful because, mm -hmm. um, you know, what's a bucket list? A bucket list is these are the things I want to make sure I do before I die. I want to go to the Grand Canyon. I want to jump out of an airplane, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And Jumping out of an airplane is fun. I, I, yeah, uh, <laughs> no, thank you. Uh, but, he, but he says, because our, our eternal life with the Lord is, on, is, is of totally restored earth in our resurrected bodies with the Lord, we have an eternity that is a, a life that has no end in which to do that which we've which will make our hearts sing hmm. and so we don't need a bucket list yeah you know if you don't get to xyz before you die don't worry you know yeah. god has a whole eternity in store for us um the the other thing you know it's it's interesting in if, you, if you're ever looking for a great chapter on hey what hey what's the gospel um first corinthians 15 is like a great place to go to um and paul um starts it off and he says now brothers and sisters i want to remind you of the gospel i preached to you mm -hmm. <laughs> and so then then he goes on to talk about it and he, and he spends time talking about um the resurrection of the dead etc but um he ends with this great verse um after talking about what christ has done and the resurrection of the dead, etc. He says, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm, let nothing move you, always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So what, what we do too often is we, we say, well, Jesus is coming back. Um, I, I've received my ticket to heaven, and I now get to sit in the heavenly waiting room mm -hmm. uh, until Jesus come back, and I don't have to do anything. <laughs> I just get to sit and read a magazine. Mm -hmm. um, and actually, uh, Paul's counsel is, no, no, no. No, no, no. Now, give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor is not in vain, because you know that what you do now has, has eternal consequences, not just for you, but for everyone around you. And, and there, you know, we are saved by the blood of Christ, but that which we do on earth does have consequences. Um, that which we do on earth um, has, uh, has reward. Um, the scriptures are clear. There is, there is a reward for laboring in your life with Christ, loving each other. I always say there's no such thing as an insignificant gesture of kindness because you never know how God is going to use that kindness in, in his eternal plan. And so I say, you know, what do we do? Well, we give ourselves fully to the work of the Lord, knowing that what we do here is not in vain. Absolutely. So next question, what do you think about Jesus' teachings that people won't be given in marriage in heaven, which refers to mm -hmm. Matthew twenty-two thirty, 
if people are married on earth, are they not married in heaven? What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, so um, no, we're not married in heaven. <laughs> it's, that one's pretty clear. Yeah. Um, but Jesus specifically addressed it. Um, and my wife Jill and I, we were talking about this, and um, uh, I made the, uh, we were talking about the idea that uh, we're married to Jesus. Okay, so in uh, the book of Revelation, it talks about the, the marriage supper of the Lamb, that um, the, the bride who's, who, the, who is the church um, it is um, in, in the return of Christ is wedded to Jesus. Okay, eternally. The church marries Jesus. Um, Ephesians uh, 5 talks about how marital love is an expression of God's, of Christ's love for the church, etc. Um, <laughs> and, you know, is, I don't know how that sits with you, being married to Jesus. <laughs> um, it's just some of you might go, well, that sounds great. Others, you might be, thinking, oh, sounds kind of weird. I don't know. Uh, but I guess if, if we can look at it, you know, which in, in which I think the, the big imagery is, is meant to be, is that we will be a part of a love that is, again, more than we could think or imagine. Mm -hmm. And we will live in that love. We will live... We'll, we're invited into the never-ending life that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit live in eternally. Mm -hmm. and, and it's not just a spiritual idea. It's a whole being. It's, a, it's, a, it's, it's our embodied souls eternally caught up in, in Christ, li, um, living in the eternal life of God. Mm -hmm. I think we're not going to be standing around going, well, I wish I was married still. <laughs> Um, I recognize that brings up other questions about lost loved ones, lost spouses, and so forth, who maybe didn't know the Lord, etc. So I, I, it's a complex question. Um, I think God's answer to it, though, is going to be better than we think or imagine. Mm -hmm. Well, and I would also just add that even if there's not marriage in heaven in the way that we understand it, that doesn't negate the value of marriage here and then Absolutely. here and now. Right, 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 yeah. And it also doesn't negate, you know, the comfort. You know, I do believe that even if two people who follow the Lord pass away and they're no longer married in heaven, I think you will still have the comfort of, hey, I get to be with you forever again now. You still have that comfort of reunion. Right. It just yeah. doesn't look the way that we understand it to be here. And and I and I would go so far, because of what we know of, of God, that... In not being married and being with the Lord, it'll be even better yeah. than what we experienced as marriage on earth, mm -hmm. on, in this realm. Yeah. yeah. All right. So the next question, we're getting close to the end. Um, what do you think our state of our being after death, before the new heaven and new earth, um, or sorry, let me start over. What do you think is the state of our being after death? before the new heaven and new earth when our bodies are resurrected? And then kind of along with that question, what is the environment of the afterlife before the new heaven and new earth? In other words, where are we? <laughs> <laughs> so that present heaven kind of yeah. question. 
We've kind of already answered a little bit. Well, I guess I would think of the of this um, of the transfiguration when Jesus meets with Moses and Elijah. Um, they are clearly recognizable. They can dialogue with each other. Um, their identities—they're not different people. They're the same people. Um, and um, and and how that realm interfaced with the realm such that Peter, James, and John could witness this. I don't know how that works, but I, I would say, you know, even physicists, physicists know there's more than three dimensions. Yeah. And so how this works in what in God's space, I, I don't even know. And, and just when I say God's space, it's all God's space, you know, whether it's the physical realm, height, width, depth, um, or it's the heavenly realm, which is beyond my understanding. Mm -hmm. So... I don't. I don't know that we really know. Again, we have uh, we have indication. You know, when when Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, met Paul um, on the road to Damascus. Um, you know, there was a there was light. <laughs> he was blinded. Um, there was a voice. It was you know it was audible. Mm -hmm. You know, so we just have hints we, we yeah. you know god gave us what we need to know we yep. go from there so in the in your sermon you addressed something about healing leaves so in the new heaven and earth why will we need healing leaves and this that, is a scripture reference yeah yeah it's a gr great question and so um the uh we talked about in the message that there are, there are two landmarks in the eternal city, the new Jerusalem. There's the river of life, and there is the uh, tree of life growing on the banks of the river. The tree of life, a reference back to Genesis um, Genesis 2. Um, and, uh, and, and the tree that is growing on the banks of the river of life, the tree of life has leaves for the healing of the nation. Mm -hmm. Well, I think this is, um, you know, is... Is there a little literal river? I hope so. I like water. Is there a literal tree? Sure. Why not? I hope so. Um, is this bigger? Is this is what the writer um, was inspired to tell us bigger than just water and a tree? Yes, I I think so. Um, and are these are there literal leaves for the healings of the nation? I don't know how that works, but I do know that what God is is going to do is. Um, is everything necessary so that we live in shalom? Mm. And shalom is not just the absence of conflict. Shalom is the Hebrew word for peace. Um, shalom is not just the absence of conflict. It's the presence of wholeness, harmony, and right relationship with God, self, others, and all creation. And so God will provide in our eternal life that which is completely necessary for shalom in centuries of bloodshed you know on our in our on our world in our world um as we come to be with the lord the lord is going to heal all that division um now i think kind of the the gist of the question though is why would we need that over time you know wouldn't that all be healed right when we get to uh be with the lord and we don't have to, um, we don't need these leaves anymore. 
I, I, you know, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I think the indication, though, is the river is, you know, Jesus is the, um, Jesus says, if anyone is thirsty, come to me and drink. Uh, uh, living water will pour out of them. This is the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. This, the Holy Spirit is um, the giver and sustainer of life. The, we have the, that living water um, nourishing the tree which gives life. Um, it's all that. <laughs> you know, and, when, and it, if, if I were to describe, if I were to write a book right now about the home I grew up in, it would not be sufficient for you to fully experience what I experienced mm-hmm. living in that home. Mm-hmm. Think how much more our words just are not going to give us a full enough understanding. But they will give us a, enough. They will give us what we need to know mm-hmm. <laughs> to, to, to move forward in, in faith and in hope. Yeah. Yeah. So second to last question. Um, Ooh, there's a lot of them. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, does the Bible speak to the debate of burial versus cremation? So as an example mm-hmm. of what this question, I think, is getting at, um, my grandmother is very much opposed to cremation because mm-hmm. she believes that since God is going to... I mean, she's very much a, a faithful, mm-hmm. Bible-believing Christian. Um, but if God is going to restore our physical bodies then we should not burn our bodies. Mm-hmm. We should have it buried. Yep. And I think some people would also say, okay, if Christ was buried, then that's the standard. So sure. what does the Bible say about the burial and cremation discussion, if um, anything? I, you know, uh, someone correct me if I'm wrong. I don't see that the Bible speaks specifically to that. There might be, um, for ancient Israel, in um, the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, there might be something in there for ancient Israel. Whether if you know, how does that apply to um, now, to, to you know, after the coming of Christ and the resurrection? I'm not sure. I do know, and and this is something. Um, I just personally, I um, in in reading some church history. I saw that throughout church history, the preference has been of the church for burial rather than cremation. Um, And so just that preference, I don't think there's specificity and dogma about that, but um, I've leaned myself more toward burial, um, which is kind of funny because I'm claustrophobic. And my wife cracks me up, Jill cracks up, and she's like, what in the world? (laughs) You're going to be dead. But anyway, uh, I just thought, thought that might make you chuckle. Um, you know, we also know, though, that um, Christians throughout time have been burned as martyrs. Mm-hmm. And so what do we do with all this? Well, I think... Or they died in a fire. Right, exactly. Exactly. So fundamentally, what do we do is we certainly we simply trust that the Lord's work will be sufficient to raise... Uh, to to raise and resurrect all those in Christ. Um, there is something I've read. C.S. Lewis uh, wrote years ago um, when he was alive. Obviously, um, he likened um, the 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 body to a waterfall. Hmm. I mean, and and you, so we know this. You know the 
the cells that are this body are not the cells that were this body. I, I don't know, what is it, every seven years, every 10 years, all the cells are regenerate or something like that. So, so these aren't the same cells, you know, that I grew up with. Yeah. <laughs> I have a different body. Yeah. Um, and, and anyway, so Lewis was, said, he talked about how a waterfall, we look at a waterfall and we say that's a waterfall. Mm-hmm. But that which is pouring over the waterfall is ever-changing. Yeah. And, Never the same water. Yeah, yeah. And, and so he, I, I don't know, he, you can look this up on Google. It'll sound much better than the way I'm describing it. But it helped me understand how, the, the, how God was going to deal with these bodies, which even if they're buried, you know, they completely decay mm-hmm. over time. So we have to trust, you know, um, them dry bones will get flesh on them somehow. And we don't know how. Well, the way I said it to my grandma, when we, 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 we jokingly had the debate over burial and cremation. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Grandma, God made us out of dust once. He can do it again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, that's a, just so everyone knows, that's a reference right out of um, uh, Genesis 2. Mm-hmm. And, and the scriptures are clear. We're made from dust. Mm-hmm. We're made from the dirt of the ground. Uh, and... Uh, and we're made, I always like to remind Christians of this, we're made, the Hebrew word for the the ground, for the dust, is Adama. Mm-hmm. What's Adam's name? Adam. <laughs> <laughs> and the two, the two words go together. Yeah. yeah. He's like the dust guy. Yeah. <laughs> so last question, really easy one. How do we explain any of this to our kids? <laughs> <laughs> Kevin told me, he, he, I think you thought that one up, right? Yeah. I think Which that's is hilarious because I don't have kids. Right. So I'm like... How would you do this if you had children? <laughs> so, you know, like any wise parent, you want to you want to give them what they need to know. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 uh, and so we have to discern where our kids are at. Um, but I think having these things part of regular conversation. Mm-hmm. So, one, we want a home where we talk about um, issues of faith. And we talk about them in biblical ways. That's why we have to know the scriptures. So we can talk about them in biblical ways. Okay. And, and, but then when it comes to like the return of Christ, I'll share a story with you. When we talk about the return of Christ, um, we want to make sure that our kids know that Jesus is coming back. And that's a good thing. Mm -hmm. Um, So a funny story, when I was 11, maybe, um, my church showed a movie that was really not, was poorly made um, about, um, it's called Thief in the Night. It, okay. it, you can Google scenes from it um, on YouTube. Um, you can search. Yeah, anyway. Um, and we saw this movie about the return of Christ, and, and that was from the, the premillennial rapture worldview if we care about that. <laughs> but in it, um, Jesus, Jesus, all these bad things happen. Tribulation, Armageddon. And um, uh, I got in the car after church that night, scared out of my mind. And I remember saying to my parents from the back seat, how come you never told me about this? <laughs> I'll never forget it. And, uh, and so I would encourage you 
to talk about these things, but talk about them in hope. We don't, this is, um, for those in Christ, Revelation is nothing but hope mm. and, and, and joy. Um, and, you know, it's, it's a beautiful, beautiful book in the midst of the conflict, which is a real conflict between good and evil. Mm. Yeah. Those are all the questions that we have. So I, I do want to say that, like, can I share one more thing? Yeah, you're you're, you're my boss. You can. <laughs> you want. I just said. So actually, I want to say two things. Okay. One, I would encourage us as a congregation because after the teaching last week, when you think about when you talk when we talk about eternal life, I like to talk about it. Um, I'd, rather than just saying our eternity in heaven. I like to say our eternity when heaven and earth uh, are finally wedded or mm-hmm. when, when the realm of God and the realm of, of humanity are eternally one or something like that. I like to add that, that physicalness to it for our kids even mm-hmm. so that they don't grow up thinking that their church taught when you die, you get to go with, be, be with God and you live on a cloud like Casper. Mm-hmm. Um, it, that that is not the teaching of the scriptures. The other thing is, I I said something which makes me always want to say remind people of something. I said it's a conflict between good and evil. Mm-hmm. I just want to note that the scriptures do not teach that good and evil are polar opposites that conflict mm-hmm. with each other. Um, uh, good and good and evil. You know, some people will say that's the yin and the yang of of life or something. And that is a non that is not a biblical worldview. Mm -hmm. The the biblical worldview is that good, um, that evil is nothing but a parasite of good. Mm. And this is all from C.S. Lewis. Um, Yeah, (laughs) Lewis, he changed my world. I took a C.S. Lewis class in college and um, I wish I could have. Oh. It was, it was the awesome. best. It was the best class I took in college. Yeah, yeah. Um, and essentially, he he says, "What what is evil? Evil is nothing but the perversion of good." Mm. Yeah. So if we had nothing but good, we would thrive. Mm-hmm. If we had nothing but evil, we would collapse upon ourselves. Yeah. It, it, there's there's nothing. Time does not continue if there's nothing but evil because we destroy we destroy ourselves. But good allows eternal new possibilities. So um, that which, so evil is just taking something that's good and perverting it um, for its own purposes. So for example, you take something like a hammer. This is, a, I'll give you two examples. A, a hammer, hammer's it's just an inanimate object. Um, if I use it to build a habitat for humanity house, I'm using it for good. I could take it and bonk you over the head and give you a concussion. I have I've taken something that is (laughs) I won't that is designed for nothing but good and I've used it for an evil purpose Um, another example would be um, sex Uh, sex is designed for um, the the for the the marital um, for marital love as a demonstration of God's love for people it is designed to have boundaries 
Um, it is designed to be protected. But if we take that and we use it for selfish purposes, which would be a perversion of its original purposes, then we do damage. Mm. And so if, if you take away that selfish use of sex, the, the use of sex on our planet um, is, stays um, prosperous for us as people. Once, once you take anything that's good and you pervert it, um, then it becomes evil. I'm not trying to be trying to land the plane here. Um, anyway, wickedness, evil is nothing but a parasite for good. It needs good to survive. Good does not need evil to survive, mm-hmm. which is a good argument for eternal life. Yeah. All right, I'll stop there. Sounds good. Oh, if you're looking for a great book on eternal life, read C.S. Lewis's book, The Great Divorce. Yes. I've been meaning to reread that one because it's been many Mm. years since I've read it. It's so good. Yeah. I'm ready to go back to it at some point. This big. Yeah. It's it's pretty short. Yeah. But fascinating. Yeah. So, well, I want to thank all of our members uh, for these questions because I was telling Mm. Brett earlier today, these were questions that were not trying to clarify things that were confusing in the sermon. It, they were questions that were bringing in more ideas and connecting them to the sermon. So to me, they just that meant that you were engaging with what Brad was saying and understanding it and then asking questions that kind of took the conversation to the next level. So mm-hmm. I thought they were very, very smart questions. And so I'm really thankful for that. I'm glad we have a congregation that thinks through these things mm-hmm. and wants to know more instead of just quietly assenting to everything we hear so absolutely i think that's great absolutely so we process together yep so thank you very much uh for watching or listening with us today thank you pastor brad for joining us thank you kevin and thank you all and have a wonderful and blessed day